Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast with me, Ian Luke-Jones. This is where we get to know the people who make up the LCI community and a place where we delve into all sorts of improv topics. And today I'm super excited to tell you that we are welcoming back to the show the comedian, the improviser and all-round lovely person herself, Melina Fiol. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're even available on Amazon Podcasts, which means that you can ask Alexa to play the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show to give us a boost and help get our name out there. And now, it's time to go off script and find out a lot more about Melina's true story about making stuff up. And please welcome back to the show. To the show. That's not even a thing. I've got my words all tongue-tied before I've even started. Please welcome back to the show. It's this week's guest. It's Melina. Hello. I'm so happy to be back. Uh, Hi. Well, I, I'm super excited to have you back. Uh, I really enjoyed our first chat on the show, and it's. I think that was about twenty episodes ago. So you know, lots has happened since then. And when we first spoke, you were just sort of testing the water on the comedy circuit and now yeah you're basically a regular so there's so much to talk about yeah I mean I even like started and quit a whole podcast uh in the time since uh last episode and uh now so that's quite funny <laughs> oh yeah there's something I'm hoping we can discuss yeah. if you don't mind because I listened back to your your first episode just yesterday oh. and you mentioned that podcast then and I know that that, that has since ended so if you don't mind we can delve into that as well yeah of course the for my public divorce no no <laughs> <laughs> um so really I think it's quite funny because a lot of comedians on the circuit ask me about this as well but it was one of those things that I started a podcast with my friends and we didn't really have a structure or anything and I think the main reason that I was doing it was to just hang out with my friend last Saturday every week uh, okay so with stand-up unlike improv it is quite lonely I think I might mention this before but with uh, I liked the sense of camaraderie that like a, a podcast would have uh, in the way that stand-up doesn't have. Um, however, I think it's just, it was a case of it was, we were going, we were getting a train every week to the studio. We were recording every week. We had to get the clips ready after the episode, we had to prepare. It was a lot of work. And then also the podcast, I was, I didn't think I was getting like much out of it in terms of like the final products. Cause I wasn't talking much and I like to talk. <laughs> and it was just a lot of like, comedians talk over each other anyway and then when it's one woman and then two men like um it's just it would just cause a lot of tensions when the podcast itself didn't want to go the way that I wanted or okay. the way that I wanted to go they didn't agree and then things got weird because like there were times where like we weren't getting on because of it so essentially I always use the line I quit the pod to save the friendship <laughs> but I think the, <laughs> the key here is I think that not everyone needs a podcast and I think um in my opinion that podcast you need to have something that you want to share whereas we just wanted to just you know just have, have fun on the weekend which now when I see the guys that I did the podcast with we get on so much more so much better than when we had the stress of doing a podcast together um and that's it really it just wasn't really we weren't well suited as, as co-hosts <laughs> yeah and yeah I think it is a good point about having like an actual goal with the podcast instead yeah. of just chatting because yeah, I think exactly. whatever the topic if there's a specific thing that you're talking about and 
whether it's just friends chatting or whether you get guests on or whether it's just someone talking by themselves, as long as, you know, each week there's a clear, oh yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. Exactly. Then people want to hear it, but people don't necessarily just want to hear people just shooting the breeze about whatever exactly. comes to their head. <laughs> exactly. And like, that's, you know, and we have our stand up and things, which is an outlet for one form of that. But if, so if the podcast is, I don't know, we have our stand up, we don't really need the podcast. But, you know, I think who knows whether they're going to continue or not but um i hope they do and i hope that because i think it takes time to find your footing as well it might be that it clicks uh, for some people after doing like trying a few times but i think i was just so tired <laughs> like especially somebody who works nine to five on top of comedy like you need to really get something out of it quite quickly for it to be worth it um yeah but i did enjoy the experience though and i learned a lot i think just in the process of making a podcast and putting it out you know um yeah whereas you're a one-man team you know so yeah. you know, you, you don't want to argue. <laughs> but the things that you like, I remember when you were doing the podcast, there were certain things yeah. that you were doing that I don't do, and I was like, oh mm. yeah, it would be cool if I had a team to do certain things. Like you were putting out little snippets, videos, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And you know, yeah. it takes a lot of my time just to make this show the way it is and do mm. the little things that I do for it. Um, so there were certain things that you were doing that I, I was like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool what they're doing. Yeah, that's true, actually. But I guess it's one of those things that's finding a balance. And find, and if you are going to work with people, whether that's someone who helps make clips or anything, or a co-host, it's just about finding people that you do click with, like, professionally, I think. Um, and that's it's not necessarily going to be mates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, it's a good way of looking at it. Keeping business, business, and friendship, friendship. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I should probably bring up, just before this recording happened today, what is the date today of recording? It's the ni- no, the eighth of September. Eighth September. And uh, sadly, not long before we started recording this, it was announced that the the Queen has passed away at the ripe old age of ninety six. And I ummed and ahed about whether I should mention anything about it, but I I feel as this is very fresh news to us, it is worth mentioning because the Queen is. Is quite an incredible figure from from history. She will go down as, you know, a very successful queen. It, to me, I can't even get my head around when we sing the British national anthem, singing "God Save the King." I'm like, that doesn't compute. It's always been "God Save the Queen." It's such a weird thing. Um, and I just think, I don't think there'll ever be another queen. I mean, there might be other queens, but there won't be anyone like Queen Elizabeth mm-hmm. that we've just had. She's crossed generations and i think whether people are royalists or not people respect her like she's she's done a great job and she's remained like dignified throughout the whole time that she's been queen i don't think anyone can really have a bad word against the queen and yeah i think especially like if you break it down to just like monarch's life expectancies as well and like how young that she how young she um like started like that's not going to happen again really you know what i mean it's bizarre yeah, yeah. and it's truly living history so in mm. in primary school yeah, we teach about the victorian times and we, we we learn about queen victoria and for a long time it was taught that she was the longest reigning monarch and now yeah. now give it a few years and, and we'll be learning about this period of time and we'll be learning about the queen our queen will be learning about the pandemic you know and the things that happened in this period and that's crazy to think that 
we're living through the things now that are going to be taught in history lessons through so much man and it's so it puts into this like a weird perspective doesn't it it makes it kind of seem abstract (laughs) yeah and i'm going to share a little story about the queen because one of the the proudest moments of my life so far was watching my mother receive her mbe from the queen and she received it like from the queen and not from one of the others because sometimes you go and it could be yeah. well king charles as he is now prince charles as he was it could be prince william or prince harry well maybe not harry anymore but <laughs> <laughs> he used to do royal things um and i i remember that day for so many reasons obviously the fact that my mum received it from the queen that was a really great moment but there was sort of lots of comical things that happened around the day and i remember my sister had arranged for us to arrive in a car that used to belong to Lord Mountbatten. It was chauffeur driven and stuff. And so it was this really fancy thing. We're all dressed very smart in suits and, and all that kind of stuff. And we got there and there was just a big queue outside. You know, everyone's waiting for the gates to open. There's a big queue of cars. Everyone's waiting to go in for the ceremony and, and things. We we're in the queue and it, it started to feel like the gates just weren't going to open. I was like, oh man, when are we ever going to get in? Because I started to need the toilet. And I'm the sort of person that when I need the toilet, I need the toilet. I, I, <laughs> I don't have the ability to just hold and hold and hold. So I thought, right, it looks like we're not going to get in for a bit. I'm going to get out of the car and I'm going to go and investigate if there's a toilet I can go to. And then I stepped out of the car and I was swarmed by by tourists, like loads of <laughs> loads of Asian tourists were there yeah. who, who'd been there taking pictures of the the palace and things and posing at the gates and stuff. And then all of a sudden they see me get out of this very fancy looking car. I'm in a suit and they all started swarming and like posing for pictures with me. And I just really need the toilet. All of a sudden I'm like in all of these pictures, I don't know who they thought I was, or they probably just thought it didn't matter. They just, there's a guy in a suit. He's outside the palace. He must be important. So, and me being me, I like, I take the time. I stop and I'm like greeting them all and I'm waving for these pictures. And then I thought, but I really need the toilet. So once I'd sort of taken my time and had my little random moment of um, celebrity with, with these Same. people, I, I saw a policeman. So I ran to the policeman and I was like, oh, can you, t- can you tell me, please tell me there's a toilet nearby. And he said, oh, there is the pub just around the corner, but I think it's a bit early. But I mean, you can go and check it out if you want. So I thought, right, I'm going to go. So then my bladder gets excited because he thinks, oh, there's a toilet just around the corner. And then... They open the gate and I'm like, oh no, the cars have started to move. So I run back to the car and I get in the car. I'm like, I didn't find the toilet. I just found lots of tourists that wanted to take their picture with me. <laughs> so then we're going in and now it's a long process because each car rolls up to the front of the palace into the, the entrance and they get out and it's all a big fancy greeting and there's like music playing and all of the Queen's guards are stood there in a, a line and you're sort of greeted in and I'm... We finally get to the to our turn to get out the car, and it's a it's a really great experience for my mum. It's for her. It's her special day, and my nan is with us. There was me. There was my brother. There was my sister, and we get out, and everyone's taking the time to soak it in, and I'm just like bouncing. I'm like, I really need the toilet, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what do I do about this? So they're all soaking it in, and I just run into the palace, <laughs> and I found like the nearest person that looked like they could help and i'm like excuse me where is the toilet and then he sort of pointed down his corridor i'm not even taking in the fact that i'm in the palace i'm in buckingham palace and it's all very 
royal and grand and regal. And all I can think of is I really need the toilet. So I finally get to the toilet. It's the biggest relief ever. And I'm very satisfied. So I wash my hands and leave the, the toilets thinking, ah, I can finally take this in. And I'm looking <laughs> around and then I see my family walking up this big set of stairs. So I think, oh, great. I'll just go join my family. And met my family. We're walking up the stairs. And then I, I'm looking around thinking, oh, this is, this is very nice. This is very nice. And then I get my phone out as we, we enter like this big ballroom where it's going to take place. I took my phone out to tag in on Facebook. Cause I'm like, oh yeah, great. I'm in, I'm in Buckingham yeah, Palace, nice. going to tag in. And my sister's like, Ian, what are you doing? I said, I'm tagging in on Facebook. Like, it's not often you get to say you're in the palace. And I'm like, oh, but I don't, don't have a very good signal. You, you'd think the queen might have a good signal. And then she goes, Ian, put the phone away. I'm like, what do you mean? Ian, put the phone away. Uh, so I put it in my pocket. I'm like, what's the matter? She said, how did you get through security? I said, there was security? <laughs> she said, <"Yeah." laughs> we've just all handed our phones in at security. And I was like, I didn't see any security. And then I realized I'd gone to the toilet. And then when I saw them walking up the stairs, I'd completely not gone through this other room that everyone else has been ushered through. And I I wasn't checked by security. And then I was like super nervous. I was like, oh no, like (laughs) I'm here, I've got a phone. What did they find out? I've got a phone. So I sort of sneak it out again and I turn it off. I'm like, I'm not gonna, not gonna get in any bother. And then we find our seats. My mum gets taken off somewhere and she goes for her little lesson on how to greet the queen and what you say and what you do. And we're finding our seats. And then we, we get to our seats and my Nana was getting something out of her purse and she's, she's looking for something specific. I can't remember what it was, but she's like, would you just hold this for me, dear? Would you just hold this for me? Would you just hold this? <laughs> and I'm like the third object she puts in my hand is a pen knife. I'm like, what what? <laughs> Why have you got a knife? She says, oh, I always have a knife. You know, it's a pen knife. It's always very handy to have a pen knife. And I'm like, how did you get it through security? <laughs> I said, I didn't go through security, but you did go through security. Well, they don't go to check an old woman for a knife, are they? Oh, wow. like, oh my word. I'm like, you keep that in your purse and you do not get that out again, please. Oh my gosh. So yeah, then it was a wonderful ceremony, a very long ceremony, about three or four hours long. Um, but the cool thing was Rowan Atkinson was there because he was getting his oh. knighthood. So I got to see Rowan Atkinson knighted by the Queen. That's fun. I like cool. what did your mum get her MBA for? Oh, she got it for services to education in Wales. That's amazing. She... I like, what a great story though. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah. <laughs> She was a, just a very. A wee, really. <laughs> I just wanted a wee, yeah, and it turned and into a great anecdote. Uh, but yeah, my mum was a great head teacher, a very successful head teacher for a long, long time. And I always say, if I could be, if I can be like half as good a teacher as my mum was, then I would be an amazing teacher. So. Oh, that's amazing! You get half an MBE, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> I can oh. have an Ember. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I just wanted to share that because, you know, um, it's a it's a sad day for the country with mm. the Queen passing away today. Um, and whatever people sort in the royal family, I I think I personally think that she needs to be celebrated. And I'm glad that I've got such a great story to tell about the Queen and the palace and things. 
Definitely. I bet the kids uh, at school would love to hear that. Uh, yeah, I, I told I have told that story. Yeah. And, and the good thing about being a teacher is because you get a new class every year, you can just yeah. reuse the same material. Is it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good point of material. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did. We I did enjoy seeing you do some stand up and comedy oh, yeah. as well. The show ah. that we did. Yeah. Thanks. Well, let's just talk about that for a second before we get get it's to you because. Segue. <laughs> That's a great segue indeed. Hey, you should really consider this podcasting, Malaki. <laughs> so yeah um i i spoke about it on the last episode of this in fact mm -hmm. you won't you probably won't have heard that i actually uh, thanked you in the last episode of this show oh i thanked you and i thanked michael Annanins as as two people that inspired me to actually have a go at improv uh, of stand-up oh. have a go at stand-up makes me so happy oh because it's something I'm better heroes, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that I had considered and then I got so wrapped up in improv yeah. that I hadn't considered it. But then it, it was talking to you and it was talking to Michael Annanins and it was hearing your stories and, and following you on social media and, and I just mm -hmm. thought, Oh, I gotta at least give it a go. Yeah. And... Could you start from the very beginning as well? Like the um uh and <laughs> like for example, um like before, like well, I would just kind of go up in my normal clothes and I kind of saw how I now know I have my stage clothes or like how, how it's kind of built up for me now, how I have like certain things I do post and don't post and all the kind of gigs that I do. So you've kind of seen how it is possible to just, you kind of, you saw the track from, from nothing, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And like for me, like I put off doing stand-up for so many years because I didn't know, it didn't feel easy to grasp just like the start of like that first rung of the ladder. Uh, but I think if you see someone else do it, um, it makes a lot of, like it's just, yeah, it's very easy, but I guess you put a gig on yourself, which is even better. Yeah. Um, so I cheated. Yes. <laughs> I what can I, yes. Yeah. Do the listeners know about your news? About the engagement? Yes. Yes, they I know. Guess, well, yes. Well, was all, in my head, it all, was all a ploy for the engagement. <laughs> it's a very good ploy. <laughs> it um, wasn't, and people have asked me about that, but it was just, I think, just in the heat of the moment, everything just seemed right and my head just said oh i think you should propose yeah. right now so uh, i just oh, did so you didn't even plan to do it that day no no i hadn't planned it yeah, at all me and Joe were like, you should hold us because we would have loved to see that but you just in the moment oh well, that's lovely yeah yeah it was completely it was it was as much a surprise to me as it was to her that's a, i love that though i think that's i think planning a complete surprise out of nowhere is one thing and then also knowing where is also another thing but I like the idea of like it being just as much of a surprise to you and that's quite unique and it's very improv <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the improv spirit really there's no other way that you could have proposed well the great thing was like, her response she didn't just say yes she said yes and <laughs> yeah uh, oh I love that that's amazing oh um, people together so yeah, I, I mentioned that show that we did in my last episode yes. of this, um, but you came and you did a set and Joe did a set and and I did a set, well, a few sets. Yeah, I was cheeky uh, getting a few sets in there because I thought, right, I'm going to have a go at stand-up. But I mm -hmm. I was in the great position of, because it was our show and I was the compere, I was able to do sort of bits in between and, and have a go at trying different types of stand-up to sort of see yeah. which one I liked the most, which one resonated the most. And the first thing I did, it was just anecdotal 
just sort of yeah. telling a story. The second set I did was just me doing lots of puns and being very silly, which <laughs> was the most me and the probably the one I enjoyed the most, except for the song that I did. So the third bit I did oh. um, <laughs> like observational stuff, and then I did uh, a song on the spot, which I I really enjoyed. <laughs> Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I think like um, the takeaway is whatever you think is funny. Like I think a lot of, for me, not that I'm a pro a protege or anything or whatever, but I, when I was younger, I went to see Chris. I don't know if I mentioned this in my last podcast, but I went to see Chris Addison when I was 15. He's a stand-up who's very successful at what he does. And I asked him for advice. And the three bits of advice were um, look the audience in the eye, you know, so they believe you you know and then because uh, they don't believe you there's just no point not gonna happen you know um the second bit of advice was um get that five minutes like bulletproof get your five minutes bulletproof like completely airtight take it everywhere and then the third bit of advice um was do what you think is funny not what anyone else thinks is funny just whatever you think is funny and find your voice you know um as a stand-up um, cause I think that I, I see a lot, especially on the open mic scene, you see a lot of people not know what they want to talk about, talk about anything, trial and error, see what gets the laugh and then work on what the audience is saying. But, and they, and then they kind of like do that, which is a craft in itself, right? That trial and error. But I think that it's stand up is about what you can bring to the table. So for me, I did I mean, I didn't start until I knew I wanted to talk about it. I, could, I always, do you know what I mean? Cause I think that I, if I'm trying to think of a set or bits, I, I just know, I know what I want to say. And then I kind of make the joke out of that rather than just like saying whatever and seeing what the audience thinks so if a joke doesn't land I'll know that it doesn't land so I'll the the idea of what it just means the joke's not good enough <laughs> but the idea of what I'm saying or the way um the, the idea of what I'm saying I still want to say I'll just tweak it in a way that I I might word differently or I might deliver it differently but I think that um so many people just want to do stand-up for maybe the wrong reasons yeah. um or maybe like because anyone can have I think it's wonderful. I'm not saying that particularly like, I don't think it's necessarily all natural gifts. I think a lot of it is hard work. And I think there is a knack, but I think there are some people who do do stand-up who have no knack, no natural gift, (laughs) nothing, right? And they start on the open mic scene and then they develop it through literal, just say anything, trial and error until something does land, which we all do to an extent. But um, the question is what's going to get you what's it's almost like trends what's going to get you so far in the scene until maybe people stop finding that kind of thing funny versus if you just do it what you will find funny it's kind of it is a process for yourself and I think there's definitely like a balance of that so it's really good that you kind of like did all these different types as well and like this guide where you felt right for you and I think that I don't know I think I've had some writing sessions with some stand-ups for example oh, it's not that we write for each other but more so just having someone with the laptop there with you you know just to yeah. kind of get stuff done and like, I remember someone saying to me that she um, she had something happened to her in real life. And she said that she turned in the material, but she changed what happened to her. And she said to me that, oh, she said to me, oh, but I actually think what happened in real life is funnier. But the you got to go with what the audience says. But if she finds it funnier, what happened to her in real life, someone else will also find that funny. It, it might just be that the joke wasn't good enough. Like the actual, like yeah. the structure of the joke wasn't good enough. But the thing that you, that instinct that you have is what is going to keep keep you going is that if it is something you're going to do I'm also talking about people that want to do it obviously like for a job for I know a lot of massive massive goals with it but like what's going to get you far is your own na- instinct that you either generate over time like I feel like I've generated my instincts since being like a teenager or but if you're just going what the audience say you're just going to be like every other stand-up 
<laughs> and that's just gonna be point that's completely pointless like you're you're say you're not saying what you think is funny you're saying what you think they're gonna find funny yeah. and that's not the same feeling do you know what I mean the feeling that you get from that it's not the same thing because you're not do you know what I mean yeah and I think that it's just a fascinating process that I've kind of like witnessed over time um I'd rather like have a bad gig based on stuff that you know I want to talk about versus have loads of good gigs but they don't feel right because if you kind of like keep at it and work at the stuff that you have in your own voice then I think that you can get to that point of like finding your audience and doing and being better I just think that it's um I'm basically sick of egos <laughs> I think a lot of people have ego and I'm sick of it because there are people who don't know what's funny at all right they don't make people laugh in their real life or which is okay some people are hilarious on stage but you know but they don't know what's funny they don't make people laugh they can't think of anything the only way they do is just say anything that comes to them on stage and they might get one laugh and then adapt it over time and gig 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 and then you will eventually come up with something right but I don't think I think that you have to have a level of voice do you know what I mean and like yeah. no audience is going to find that for you because it's just there's seven billion people in the world do you know what I mean like it's within you maybe I'm being a bit too airy fair I've had a long day but <laughs> I think it's just I get um frustrated that people ask me like they talk to me kind of like bemused as to why I get certain gigs or why you know they might imply it's because I'm a woman but also another reason that I, I get gigs is because even if I don't get the most laughs that night I still very much have points that I'm making do you know what I mean and, and something yeah. to say and I think that it's I just and I think that these a lot of comics you don't really have anything to say and nothing new to add um or nothing to add in general like it doesn't have to be like a unique sense of humor but they're confused as to why they're not getting certain gigs but like if you have nothing to add and you're only you're only like taking does that make does that make any sense if you're just going off just what the, it's like yeah. oh, I don't know if improv is enough. if you're only taking from what the audience finds and there's nothing from yourself you're literally just going to be like a blank white wall do you know what I mean of course people aren't going to remember you do you know what I mean because like yeah. everyone is doing that to an extent do you know what I mean like of course I'm going to change the way I say a joke to an extent as to what is funnier but like as long as the, an idea from it comes from me um then that's that's you know that's what I have to bring to the table it's like any kind of career like you know it's like pop music if you're only if you're pop if you're a pop musician you're only doing the songs that are popular right now what's popular right now will change <laughs> and yeah. then you'll have to adapt to that but then people will go oh who listens to Jess Glynn you know <laughs> who's a Jess Glynn like massive fan whereas if you do what you want to do you'll have you'll you have like Muse for example still playing arenas you know after all these years yeah um and I think that there's definitely a craft in like I think I love like circuit comedy and I love doing five minutes because it's I like it's kind of like pop music in a sense like getting these points condensing them into a short amount of time to appeal to as many people as possible to get a reaction to as many people as possible but um I think that if it I think that it's even better when it does does actually have something to say and it's not just like thoughts that you like eat and then you just like I don't even know I don't know what the tangent we you know I love a tangent but I think yeah I don't know what the original point was I was making or the or what I was the the main point I was trying to make all I know is that um I'm just I think the point I'm trying to make is just I, I I love comedy where an individual has something to bring to the table like even you even you even like for the the three different things that you did on your show you were still you 
you know what I mean? You were still Ian doing the, I have a photo of you actually eating a Greg sausage roll. Uh, <laughs> you still brought your own uh, energy and personality to the different types of comedy that you did. And that's what you have to bring to the table. And as long as you kind of keep that, whereas some people might do like three different styles and have completely different personas and just hope something sticks, you know, from night to night. And I think that that's um, just depressing, really. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, I'm all about bringing to the table rather than just like, you know, but then what do I, you know, just me, I'm just so naturally talented that I just get potato <laughs> Mulan or language. But um, no, I'm joking. You can just cut that whole section. But like, I think that, I don't know, it's a whole debate, isn't it? Like, uh, I think hard work pays off as well, but I've just had so much experience of people like not just being it for the wrong reasons. Like if you're genuine, if you're not a funny person, genuinely why are you doing it really like it's gonna what it's gonna take you three years to get like a good five minute set brilliant yeah wow wow really doing a good thing with your time <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean yeah. like uh so uh, but I think it's a lot of it is is male dominated and a lot of it is male ego which I'm sure we'll talk about um and a lot of it is people on the fringe of society maybe and um they kind of like learn how to speak to they might be shy people and they learn how to speak to people through stand-up like can give you confidence um, so I understand why they do that rather than like thinking they're going to be a national treasure. They might just want it to do it for themselves, which is amazing. But it's just kind of it's when it's this dog eat dog world <laughs> and you're kind of like people are trying to fight you for like a 10 minute spot for like a split of the door. Um, and they're questioning why you why it's you getting that spot. And they kind of uh, whereas they literally openly kind of talk about how they don't kind of know what they're doing <laughs> I don't know yeah. it's just not it doesn't even come from around because I'm so new still and I think I said that last time I'm so new and I've got a long way to go but I think that I'm just like I'm, I'm more jaded than I was last time I think <laughs> <laughs> in <But> summary <laughs> you made a good point there and it's very similar to what you said about podcasting and it's that mm. if, the, if the podcasting doesn't really have a point then it's not going to be that interesting and if if the act doesn't really have a point and I'm all for improv but if your act is completely based on on the improv and there's no shtick to it, yeah, then the, the, it could be like going to watch a world-class orchestra that doesn't quite reach their crescendo. You might reach the crescendo because a gold genius moment might occur based on what something that person has said, but there's no guarantee that the audience is going to provide you with that material. So if that's what yeah. you're 100% reliant on, you're not quite gonna make it over the line every time exactly exactly and I guess the beauty of improv it is a, is in the, it's down to the players isn't it they've got to think of stuff on their feet um you know and uh yeah that's true that's true really and I think the beauty of improv as well is like the rehearsal space as well when there is no audience with stand-up because it's just you you can't really you can talk to the yeah. wall but you can't really whereas there's there's joy in improv in like rehearsing with people without an audience as well so you have that level of it and then I think that I've not done an improv performance before but I imagine that it's quite a, like I've done improv performance in class do you yeah. know what I mean with the other people but I imagine it's quite similar to a class and then the way that you, you go up and play because it's quite spontaneous like there's obviously a level of planning and things and um Seki is so good at that kind of like um controlled chaos <laughs> like she's a very good host um uh but yeah so, uh, I don't know, that, that, but uh, yeah, the two things, like we said last time, the two things really do lead into each other. And I think that, um, I think maybe that yes and attitude is is the way to go in life in general. 
So you're sending my way through the wife. I think for me, because my shtick is puns. I love puns. That's the way my brain yeah, works. Yeah. And that works. That works well for improv because, yeah. oh, there's a thing and there's a joke that goes with that thing. But yeah. then there are some pun comedians and they literally will just stand there and it's just pun after pun after pun after pun after pun. After pun. And as much as I love puns, it, it's actually a bit tiring. So, yeah, because I wanted puns to be one of my things. I was like, well, how can I make it? How can I make it that it's not just me standing there reeling off pun after pun after yeah. pun that's not really connected to anything? So I had to find a way to sort of segue into my pun. So I, I, I used objects and, and got things out of this box. And and to me, I, what I loved was at the start, at the start, people were like, what on earth is going on? Like there was, <laughs> there was a definite yeah. sense of confusion in the room. Like, has he lost his mind? What is he doing? And then I do my very first sort of pun based joke and it's the classic, ugh, the groan, <laughs> the eye roll. Yeah. But then by the end of that little set, people were like genuinely quite into it. And I think some people were trying to work out the joke for themselves. Oh, I've yes. seen that item. I think he's going to do this. Yeah. Is it going to go that yeah. way? Um, and that's, yeah, that's so true though. Like, um, yeah, we were try, trying to work out the jokes and you yeah, I never got them. <laughs> we just got Because <laughs> I never, you always, it's like a step ahead. But that's, I think, like with improv and puns, I guess it's the surprise of it that's funny as well. Like, yeah. you say, oh, there's, a, there's one. Whereas I guess if you're constantly, if you're only doing puns on stage, just you without the box, there's that lack of like surprise, I guess. That lack of like spot, even though obviously it's written and things, it's like spontaneous, isn't it? Even though you've got the box, it feels spontaneous when you've got the props in front of you. Like, oh, it's a sausage, what's he going to pull out next? Yeah. I guess an improv, it's, it's spontaneous and puns, are, in my opinion, I find them funny when it does feel spontaneous. And there's definitely ways that, and loads, I'm sure there are standards that do this, but there are definitely ways to integrate all those different types of, of things together. Like, you know, like, um, it's like, the, I'm sure there's like uh, stories that you can tell that kind of like feed into a pun you know or, or like um you could just randomly say one during a you know um but I yeah I'm not very good at puns to be fair sometimes but I'm very terrible I think it's that people are impressed at like the, the, the cleverness of the pun whereas yeah. like if you're just reeling off puns it's like there's no breathing space to kind of like reset and they go oh that's clever reset oh that's clever it's like oh that's clever all right move on mate um but no offense to Milton Jones or, or the <laughs> mic <laughs> And also, well, my dad, he like, um, so I, I had everything set up, but I didn't give myself like, I'm going to do this one, then that one. I literally yeah. just opened the box and I was like, oh, I'm feeling this one. And then I'd see yeah. how that went. And then I was like, oh, I think I can segue into this one. And so some of that was like spontaneous segues as well. Um, Not really fresh. Yeah. But I think one thing that was important to me and it's important to me as a teacher generally is. Don't try to be the person that's trying to be cool. Don't try to be the person that's trying to be the cool teacher. Don't be the person that's on stage that's trying to be the cool comedian. Just, I know I'm not cool. I've never been cool. I've never tried to be cool. And I'm quite happy with that because I'm very happy being me. So just get up on the stage or get up in the classroom and lean into being the best version of you. And Maybe that, that is cool. <laughs> I don't know, but, but that's your stick. So like... I'm one yes. of those people, I've always thought, I'm never going to go out of fashion because I've never been in fashion. I've, I've, I've never chased being cool. It's never really bothered me what other people think of yeah. whether I'm cool or not. Couldn't care less. I'm happy 
the people I surround myself with are happy and are happy with me. And that's all I need in life. And if I can translate that to a stage or to a classroom, then um, yeah. there's a message and I'm happy to put out there. I love that idea. It's so true. It's kind of like fashion and clothing, right? If you just buy whatever's on trend, you'll get bored of it, right? Because it's not actually nice, not what you like. It's just what everyone else is wearing. But if you just buy clothes that you like, like, full stop, and either sue you or you think they're nice, you will have those clothes for years. Do you know what I mean? No matter how much you spend on them, you will you will wear them again and again because you just like them. Or like a lot of the time, the co- the co- the main compliment I tend to get is that I'm I seem confident on stage. Are you so comfortable on stage? You're confident on stage, but that's because what I believe what I'm saying. Like I'm not saying I'm not I'm not like trying to be controversial. I'm not making I'm not kind of making points and then that I don't believe in and I'm not saying anything that isn't true and I'm not make. Do you know what I mean? So there's no reason for me not to be. There's no this is there's no reason for it like not to be as comfortable as like me and you talking or, or anyone in a room because I'm just saying things I believe in kind of like you know when you have to do a presentation or like a teacher when you have to do a presentation if you know your if you know what you have to say if it's a presentation about stuff you know about sound right usually um with slides and everything if it's a presentation that your boss has made you do last minute that's for a different member of your team because they're off sick and you don't know what you're talking about and you have to blag it you're gonna be you're gonna feel screwed or even like um when you're a kid or when you know your students when the teacher, a horrible moment everyone hates, <laughs> is when uh, uh, you're going around, when the teacher's going around the classroom asking people for the answer and you don't know the answer. If you don't know the answer, you're going to freak out when the, student, when the teacher gets to you, whether you zoned out, whether you just don't know the answer, whether you don't care, you're just going to freak out when the teacher gets to you or hope the teacher doesn't get to you. But if you know the answer to the question, your hand is going to go up. You know, you're gonna, you know, you're not going to have to wait for the teacher to come around to you. You're going to be confident. You're going to go, like, no, four or four is eight. I know this. So like with my stand-up, my issue is obviously my memory. That's when I freak out or like, or I feel unconfident if I feel like I'm not sure something's funny. But in terms of like what I'm saying, I believe in it and I don't, I'm not trying to fit a mold. I'm just trying to be me, do you know what I mean? And I th- and that's why it comes across as confidence because I'm just being me. And at least when, if I, if I'm, when I have good gigs, it's when I don't get in my head. Because if I just tell myself, well, you know what, even if it's not funny, believe in what I'm saying and I'm making a point, and I'm just being myself. So you can just go up there and just talk about the stuff that you're going to talk about. Um, whereas if you're trying to fit a mold, I think there's that level of uncertainty that you'll inevitably have, like the kid in the classroom. You're not going to be sure about yourself. You're not going to be sure of yourself because you're not. And I have no imagination. So I can't, I don't pawn a character. Like it's obviously a version of myself of up there, um, but it's still a version of myself. It's not like a character that I'm trying to portray. And all well and good to character comedians, you know. But it's a lot easier for me to be comfortable earlier on in my comedy career on stage and confident on stage. And it's something that comes naturally to me because it's literally just me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And even if it's just me, it's not even an exaggerated version of myself at all. Like even when I'm acting exaggeratedly, it's still a, something I felt very real at the time. It's just like the most extreme version of myself. I think the most extreme version of myself is different to an exaggerated version of myself. Like there's nothing that's pulled out from thin air. It's very much a me that exists, but like the, I don't know, if you're highlighting the, I don't know, capital letters or something, I don't know, I'm trying to think of another analogy. I've overdone the analogies. But um, yeah, so I think that's that's something. And I think that that's what will, what will get you far, just do what you have to bring to the table. And if you've got nothing to bring to the table at all, then maybe it isn't for you, or maybe you just need to figure that out, you know, or, or just don't get frustrated if, like, not you specifically, but, like, if you <laughs> don't know what you have to do at the table, just don't get frustrated if it takes more time for you to progress if you do want to do it anyway. Like, I see so many people get annoyed that they're not 
doing shows you know and they get they get confused why they're not doing shows and they and then they also say in the same breath oh but you know I don't know really know what I want to say you know I know I want to do it but I don't really know how to come up with stuff to talk about and like, I have no advice to give them like I genuinely have no advice to give them because like forget about all the networky stuff and forget about like all the um like promotion and things or like being in the right place right time but in terms of your act and people just wanting you on like there's there's no advice I can give anyone really because if you don't know what you want to talk about it's not my problem you know what I mean like it's not yeah. it's just I don't know it's like if you're not a good singer like yeah singing is a good comparison because if you're not a good singer then and you you can't and then if someone was a very bad singer um <laughs> and they weren't getting um, a record deal um <laughs> if someone was a really bad singer they weren't getting it's later in the day than the last one if someone was a very bad singer and they weren't getting gigs you you would say to them maybe get singing lessons wouldn't you yeah but for some reason in stand-up there's like an entitlement in so many people because they think that maybe because getting a few laughs is kind of enough to be the actual even getting lots of laughs might be enough but if if you're not a good singer you know it might be you're a great singer but you have the exact same voice as you know someone who's famous at the time and that's not needed if you're at that stage getting a record deal um and I think that it's so weird I think stand-up is such a weird 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 art form because it is like the purest form of art it's just you right there's even well this or one woman shows i don't know and it's the purest form of art and i think because it's so kind of everyone's got their which is subjective or objective which is one that everyone has a different opinion subjective subjective because it's so subjective it's very easy for people to think that they could you know what i mean to you can blame the audience whatever but um i think because it's so subjective it's hard to kind of draw that line it's not like you have to hit certain notes necessarily like there could be someone not getting any laughs at all but they can tell themselves haven't found my audience yet and they could be right or they could be wrong and it's just there's so much room for like um there's just so much room for like ego do you know what I mean yeah and I think it's just a case of like at the very it's, it's kind of like marketing like if your product is bad no matter how much you market it it will be a bad product and people find more people are just going to find out you've got a bad product if you like market it a lot whereas at least if you have a good product if you uh, the even if only a few people see it people see it as a good product and then hopefully if things work out enough people find this product through people knowing that it's a good product whether that's through word of mouth or whatever or if it does get marketed if you do market it a lot you're marketing a good product and that's what's important because um, if you market a, a bad product, then nothing's going to come of it. But I think that um, with stand-up, it's just that whole people. It's so, I think so, I don't know if this is a surprise you or not, probably not, but so many people forget about the actual set. They forget about people like compare themselves to each other. There's so much politics around who's getting what gigs. But then just, if you look at the people on certain lineups, sometimes it just makes sense because, oh, this person is very funny. Therefore, they're getting... Um, more paid gigs for example or you know uh, or sometimes it is nepotism and you know the industry is a lot like that but I think that as long as you have as long as you believe in your, what you're what you're selling because it's I guess if you talk about it that way if you believe in what you're selling if you believe in like your what you're doing upon that stage then you just kind of gotta and that's that's kind of like that's going to keep you sane and I guess where how far that takes you isn't the important thing the important thing is that you're doing it for you and you're going to reach the audiences you do want to reach through that. Um, and I love marketing. You know, I'm all for like <laughs> putting little posters up. I'm all for like self-promotion. But I'm, I can only do that and sleep at night because I believe in kind of like what I'm doing. 
and that's not to say I don't get imposter syndrome sometimes every time there's a step up or if I feel not ready for a show if I don't do well or you know I struggle with self-doubt as much as any other comedian um but I think that uh, at least I kind of like I, I've always had that belief in what I'm doing and finding my voice and not listening to the noise around it and doing as to bring it full circle just doing what I think is funny you know or what I think should be spoken about um for me anyway um yeah there's a couple of things uh that you mentioned there which I want to tie together one of them is marketing it's the marketing and we spoke about clothes before and I'm a big fan like what you post every time you're going to do a gig you post and I'm always interested to see what's Melina wearing because I'm a big big fan of your outfits and I believe that's a big part of marketing like in general in life I'm often wearing bright colored t-shirts or shirts or whatever and I've always got like a matching hat and if I'm dressed as Mr Jones in school my outfit always matches my ties and my socks and my belt buckles and things and that's just that's just how I work it it makes me happy I hate wearing shirts and ties so I have to do it in a way that makes me comfortable I like that and yeah you have always got awesome outfits and I I sort of clock how often she'll wear certain ones and okay yeah well she's she's done that venue before so she's wearing a different outfit now and I I spot all of these little things and I've messaged you a couple of times about your outfits and um I really appreciate it so just talk to me about how much effort goes into sort of creating that public image so much it's disgusting but I love it um it's a hard standard that I feel like I genuinely don't think anyone on on the circuit thinks about I really think if, if everyone puts as much effort into me into some of this I wouldn't get any shows. Um, I really, I'm really glad you noticed that. Some people have noticed like that they they like what I wear and they notice certain like themes and things. But you're the only person who's actually mentioned that if I've done a venue before, I won't wear the same thing again. It's a simple thing, you know. But it's like it's what well, you're gonna, you know, you need some fresh photos. Um, so like the first, I think my first ever gig I did just in cardigan docks because I was thinking like, oh, you know, you just whatever, because you're a woman, you just you just dress quite scruffy, but like. For any art form, because I did film at uni, and when there's a costume designer, what they think about is just, they think about the character, right? If you watch any behind the scenes video of any film or TV show, they'll take a character and they think about what the character, what they want to present about the character. So for example, like if there's, um, uh, if I really like the film 500 Days of Summer, right? Um, I love those clothes, actually. I love uh, those kind of like 2010s, uh rom-coms I love but 500 Days of Summer is a good example she wears like really flowy girly clothing because she's like this idealized version of a woman she wears like the blue to bring out her blue eyes or she'll wear bows to make it really cute or even her work outfit she has to wear smart clothes for work but she has a little butterfly and she has her hair in a bow because she's this like idealized version of a woman right? right or um even characters right who are having a terrible day they'll dress really scruffy in the rain or if you look at even like the Bridget Jones films, because the way that she's dressed, like she, um, like Renee Zellweger is just this, this beautiful woman, but she, they dress her quite, she's quite a sloppy dresser because um, even though she's quite, um, like for example, when she's flirting with Hugh Grant's character, she has like a tight skirt, but it's all very mishmashed because <laughs> she doesn't know what she's doing with her life. She's just trying to, <laughs> she's trying to fit into an image. So costume designers in film, it sounds really pretentious, but costume designers in films, they think about what the audience things about the character right because it's it's not it's not stupid it's not ridiculous to think about the film character and how they want to present because it's you just you just need to it's, it's so important because it's a it's a fictional character anyway and they have to set up this world and it also helps the right it helps the writers a lot and it saves 
the director time, it saves everyone time, saves the audience time about making their mind up about someone because the characters dress a certain way. Even if you take it to real life, when you're in, like, like you were discussing earlier, if someone's in an office, they might dress smart or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. With stand-up, I've loved stand-up for so long. And if you look at the biggest stand-ups and what they wear, it's quite clear that they're presenting an image of themselves. Like, for example, Michael McIntyre, um, <laughs> the Mac, he wears suits because he's got quite, he looks like, for audio listeners, he looks a bit like me, but male. But um, <laughs> he <laughs> he looks quite fun, doesn't he? He's quite goofy. He's got like a soft face. Um, he's quite, you know, he's not the, the thinnest person, but he's quite like a soft figure. But he wears like sharp suits because you can see, he needs to look like he knows what he's doing do you know what I mean like Lee Evans would even wear sharp suits because he's quite a silly person really good um conventionally attractive stand-ups like Russell Howard and Jack Whitehall they wear really like t-shirts or check shirts they just quite they dress themselves down because it's not about them being attractive it's just about them being a bit more humble um so every every kind of comedian does have certain things that they wear right so there's definitely thought that goes into it whether that's from the way agent or something but there was a there must have been a day that Russell Howard sat down and went I'm just gonna wear colored t-shirts and that's it you know or maybe like um his agent might have gone don't wear suits you know because <laughs> otherwise you're just gonna look like a like a smart like a like a smart businessman in Canary Wharf and we don't want that because you want there's like two frames to it there's a you want what are you presenting as a person slash character or even though it's still me it's still your know, version of myself what are you presenting to the audience and also you got to go up there and there has to be a separation between you and the audience whether you're doing the pub whether you're doing the glee club whether you're doing hammers of apollo you do not need to look like you've just come off the street unless you are someone who is like a conventionally attractive male stand-up you can, you sure, maybe you could look like you've just come off the street, but the amount of men that wear just plain blackness, you can't differentiate. And then you've also got to stand out. You've got to differentiate between the others. If um, me and Joe Sargent always wore the same outfits, then we, maybe in your head, you would, you, it would be hard to separate us. But like, and so there's that as well. But I think it's so important to have that divide, no matter, because a lot of the gigs I do are quite small and you have to have a divide that's like, I'm, even that this isn't me saying I'm famous at all. This is, I, trust me, it's, it's, it's you saying, I am not you. The same way that you would if you're a teacher or a lecturer, um, you can't dress the same way the kids dress. Even if you wore like brightly colored t-shirts as a teacher, like, like you do, you have to wear a suit and tie in a sense, because you have to, there has to be a divide of, I am not you. There is a hierarchy here. I'm there to perform, you're there to watch. That's how this is. And if you just look like you rocked up off the street, why, why should you be up there? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like if an audience member goes, why should you be there? And if you kind of like put that divide in yourself with what you're wearing, it saves you a hell of a lot of time. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't have to win them over um, by, you know, you don't have that challenge. You're doing it with what you look like. Because no matter what you, I am an Asian woman and you don't see a lot of us like on the circuit, but no matter who you are, when you go on stage, the audience will have a thought. There'll be an image of you that they have. And it's, in my opinion, important to be in control of that, um, you know, and being in control of that means you're in control of the rest of your performance. There's also levels to it of like my own psyche as well and how I just want in control of, of situations. Like I would like to share from Clueless, like um, the film Clueless, Cher doesn't feel control in her life, but she feels control in her outfits. I feel that way about both stand-up and clothing. Um, so that's kind of like, that's the psyche behind choosing my outfit. And between having set outfits, and rules because I, I decided to have set rules as to what I wear and that's the psyche behind that 
And in terms of the rules, <laughs> it's like, got to look smart to an extent. So it's like, so I would wear this top actually. So I'm just, like, at the moment I'm wearing like a brown polo neck for the audio listeners, smart trousers and like black boots, because that's quite smart. Um, so it has to look quite, because I have quite a young face as well, because I am, you know, 25 <laughs> but you want it's kind of like being a teacher like my my twin sister's a teacher we're not identical but she's a teacher and she always has to wear like, like high boots and she has to look smart because she looks quite young and unfortunately people have thoughts like um people do have an image of you if you're young you know they're not necessarily going to automatically take you seriously I don't have much, as much life experience as a lot of older stand-ups fair play you know and so if I look smart it kind of balances out looking young and then I also want to wear clothes that are flattering because I, I, I want to look nice. And also I just joke about how I'm Spanish from the neck down. So you can see what I look like. Um, but also I don't want it to be too revealing or anything. So um, because otherwise men, uh, unfortunately, if I if if I dress kind of, I want to dress flattering, but I don't want to look necessarily like sexy, if that makes yeah, sense. Because you don't look provocative that, in any way. Yeah, exactly. Because that's detracting from my own kind of narrative. You want to look, you want to get why... Because a lot of the time I talk about the weirdos, the perverts. <laughs> That's to quote myself, the weirdos I track sometimes. Um, and you want to see why I get the weirdos. But I also don't want to, people to go, well, that's why she gets the weirdos. And also I want to look smart because it's me saying, I don't want this. This is just me talking about my life. Mm. And then also I'm quite chaotic sometimes. So I start off quite low energy, but I'm quite high energy and I'll run around. But if I look like I'm put together, the fact that I am not put together it's quite funny and it that's why it's and in my opinion that's also why why I can get away with kind of running around if I looked like I'd just been dragged through a bush and I act chaotic that's just a chaotic person on stage like they're not gonna believe what I'm saying because it's like well she's clearly not got her life together like they're not gonna believe what I'm saying whereas if I'm up there talking about the chaos of my own life and my own stupid decisions they'll they'll still listen to me you know like you know you, there's a level of just like subconsciousness so it's always smart and also like I quite like if I wear a dress I always want it to be like one color because I don't want like I never never wear a flower I was trying to explain to a comedian once why I would never wear a flowery dress on stage never because it's just so like free and and frilly but I don't want I don't want to look free do you know what I mean like in real life I wear flowery dresses you know um but I don't want to look free and I don't want to look like kind of like really feminine and girly I want to look like I've got some level of togetherness you know like yes yeah. my life is a mess but I'm certain about this and um if so or sometimes I like to wear like two-piece cohorts if a gig I know is very like if it's a gig that's quite like a comedy savvy gig I feel like I can wear like the shorts without tights or anything if I know I'm playing a pub um, where it's mainly men I'll wear like a trouser type outfit with like a top um, and then like I have nice outfits like I've got a yellow dress which I love which I'm worried about like going bad because I love it so much but I'll wear that to like nicer gigs um, for example I've got if I do like a big comedy club I might wear a yellow dress and it's quite um, it's not form-fitting at all but it's very nice just because it's quite short and it's got buttons it's quite buttoned up I have to, I always like looking buttoned up but flattering and then also um yeah, that kind of, I've got these really cool boots. They're like brown boots, like these massive, like these wedges and they've got like a buckle. So it's all about kind of, I'm just realized thinking out loud now, but it's all about looking kind of like put together. She knows what she's talking about. And also most people in a comedy audience don't know you're not famous. They don't know it's not your only job. They might think you're a professional comedian and you, and for them to think it, you need to look it. You know, they don't want people that you, if people think that you are, 
a more professional comedian than you are, they're more likely to believe that you're funny. Whereas if you um, if you do like you just come off the street, they might think, oh, it's her first gig, yeah. she's not that funny. Whereas it's just like a mindset thing. Or like, I always think about professional acts who do new material. I try to get into that main framework because like, if Michael McIntyre walks in and does brand new material and it doesn't do very, very well, people still trust that he's funny because he's Michael McIntyre. I don't have that status at all, yeah. but I, so I kind of dress to that. And, you know, may, uh, even a lot of female acts don't really think about it. And maybe it's because I do run around a lot and I do kind of like do that kind of thing that I, I want to think about it more. But I know it's a, it's a part of that I love. I think it's just because I love clothes anyway. And I love like thinking about the character behind it and think of the thought behind it that I will put a lot of effort into it. And I think that I wear these clothes like in my everyday life sometimes anyway, but I think that the thought behind it makes me, <laughs> genuinely makes me happy because it makes so much, like when I explain it, it makes sense as to why I put so much thought into it. And it really does affect the performance. And maybe it's, just, I don't I don't even, it's a psychological thing on, on the audience's part as well, because, um, and also something that I know is sad, but I think it's fair, fine. If I am going to do a gig, I'll always look up what the venue looks like because we don't want to clash with the, you know, and like on a social media level as well, you want the photos to look all right. And, you know, um, or if you're going to post a clip on TikTok, you don't want to look like, you can't wear red and like in certain colors, for example, just because of the way the light works or just really like silly little things like that. Or I have outfits for like, if, if I'm a bit bloated that day um, or like, depending on if I'm going to take the train as well. Um, But it's always kind of like, it's also the kind of thing Chef and Clueless would wear. Like sometimes I think I like how she dresses too. Like she wears like those things. And I think it's just about looking still kind of feminine, but still quite buckled up, um, smart. Um, like I don't dress older as well. I wouldn't wear an outfit that makes me look older. I'll just, I'll still dress my age, but it's like very much like, oh, this is, she deserves to be on that stage. Cause I think if you're, it's just a very good way. It's a very easy way of communicating that in my opinion. Um, again the same way that people do in real life you know it's um it's like for example I bounced I wore like a tight red dress the other day but I wore like a corduroy um like collared jacket over it like I god I would never wear like that a tight red dress on its own but then I wouldn't wear the corduroy jacket on its own because it's quite scruffy (laughs) whereas if I wear like the kind of like more flattering thing with the quite scruffy thing it just bounces out um yeah so that's the that's the I just it's probably I love it I love trying to think of the clothes just as much as I love like thinking of material because it's just like if I'm looking at the gigs I've got in the week and I'll, I'll make sure there's no like um I try to like plan what I'm gonna wear which again might be sad but I'm glad that you've know you've appreciated that and I, I've had a couple of people mention um the, my little outfits uh before and it's just fun you know it keeps people and getting if you want and it's quite nice if someone's wearing something nice it's quite nice to look at as well people zone out people get bored <laughs> when someone's on stage so if someone's like wearing something nice you want to look at it do you know what I mean and just yeah that's it if I had a pound for every male every male comedian with a cap and black all black um yeah. then I would be very rich um <laughs> And yeah. I think that's just, I don't know what that was, that was a very long answer. I don't know if I answered the question <laughs> the way you wanted to. No, it does, Sorry. it does. And I think don't get when, me started <laughs> I think you can tell when someone's put effort into something. Yeah. And they care. And it's nice to tell them that you appreciate it. So I'm not the sort yeah. of person that goes around complimenting everyone all the time. But if anyone knows yeah. if if I compliment someone, then it's genuine. And some people are surprised and some people don't know how to take a compliment. And they're like, what does he want? He's saying something nice. But I just yeah. think it's nice. If you see something and you like it, and this is what I try and teach the children I teach as well. Like if you yeah. see something and it is a genuine thing and that makes you happy, tell the person that what they're wearing it's or so what they've done, 
makes you happy because that will make them yeah, happy yeah. in return. It would make their day, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's very British to to kind of, isn't it, to just not say anything or yeah. um, to just keep to keep quiet. And I'm trying to get to a point as well where I give a lot of compliments and I'm, I do mean them, but I'm trying to, but like, I, I the compliments I mean are like so small level to the big. And I want to get to the point as well where like in real where like in real life I'm talking about life I don't know why I keep calling it real life where where I'm not kind of like I I my friend <laughs> my friend Faisan who I used to do the podcast with once said to someone was introducing me going it's my friend Melina um she's a very he meant this as a compliment and I, I believe it's a compliment I take it as a compliment but he went this is my friend Melina she's a very unique personality she's a very special way of imposing herself on people she's <laughs> <laughs> very true but you meant like I'm very kind of like extroverted and social and I'll go out my way to kind of talk to people and compliment them. But I think that I'm definitely trying to get to a point actually where fewer more meaningful interactions in life, because I think I just exhaust myself. <laughs> Which sounds like, oh, I just give too many compliments. But um, there's definitely like a line to that. Um, yeah, the same way like accepting compliments. I think it's, it's, it's very British to go, no, definitely not. But it's, I think it's a good habit is to go, thank you. Do you know what I mean? Even if you have to follow up with a reverse compliment, um, do you know what I mean? Like, thank you. I like your hat, Ian. I remember the was that a fedora you wore at the first gig I saw you at. I don't know, but yeah. um, yeah, and the matching, yeah, 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 yeah. See, matching is is always is is more uh, pleasing on the eye when the colours match. Um, oh, hundred percent. <laughs> yeah, just colour blocking, man. My twin sister's a teacher and an artist, actually. Oh wow. Um, so I have a lot to learn from her. <laughs> Are you identical or? or not no yeah okay. she she does not look i always say like if she, i if i'm a puppy she's the cat version i'll have okay. to send you a photo and see what i mean yeah yeah yeah. the reason i was asking is just because i've got identical twins in my class right now and i've had oh. quite quite a few identical twins over the years and every single um set of identical twins i've ever taught one of them's been right-handed and one of them's been left-handed and it really? fascinates me yeah there's a word for that I don't know what it is their brains like opposite yeah that's so cool do you know is it hard to know whether to split them up or keep them together um I think if they're in my class I've had I guess you have control yeah yeah it just depends I've had twins that are very much inseparable and I've had twins mm -hmm. that are they very much got their own mates and like, yeah. I, I work a bit higher up in the school. So by the time they get to me, those lines have already kind of been That's drawn. That's already kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you said something, and you, so you mentioned your age, and that just reminded yeah. me of a story I was telling my class today. And just the other day, I saw someone post on Facebook about their daughter. It was their daughter's birthday. And I, uh, it, their daughter was 28. And I looked at that post and I felt so old because I taught their daughter. I taught their daughter. Oh. And I was like, she's 28 and I taught her. I, I was like, oh my word, I feel so old. You don't look old enough, Ian. Genuinely, I don't have the... Uh, well, thanks. Yeah, people are often surprised when I tell them how old I am because I, I seem a lot younger. Uh, same with Seki. Every, everyone's surprised when they find out how old Seki is. Um, but we're longer than we look. I'm, I'm happy. That, did I say longer than we look? That's not even a thing. Younger than we look. We live longer than people think. <laughs> um, so I, I am currently 39 years old. No and I, I've been in education for 18 years. So, so she must be one of the first people that you taught. Yeah. So if you were 10, like 18 years ago, you'd... you'd <laughs> 
you're 28 now and um yeah it's, it's crazy they're like they're like fully blown adults now like there's people loads of people that i have taught that have got married had children got divorced you know also lived all of these through things that i haven't yet experienced you know i think about like um back to teachers and stuff um that were younger than me when my classes tormented them and i go crap they were so young they were so young do you know what i mean like i can't believe they were that young because when you're a kid you think they're so old but there were people like who just got out of university who just started teaching and they were tormented by my uh, fellow students. Like I feel like they put through a lot. And it was so weird because I couldn't cope with some of that stuff. So the applaud students, not the <laughs> teacher, honestly. Like, yeah. And I've got a teaching assistant and well, she's one-to-one for a child and yeah. she's 25. And I was telling the story to the class and she was like, you could have taught me. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, yeah thanks. Now I feel even older. Yeah, but the class <laughs> found it hilarious. Yeah, they did. <laughs> Um, right. So I want to, I want to bring something else up because you touched on a, a couple of things when you were talking, um, about dressing and all that kind of things. And I just want to go on record and say, someone is funny because they're funny. It doesn't matter if they're male, female, or, or any other, um, way they want to define themselves. If someone is funny, I have seen many a male comedian in my time. Mm-hmm. some of them have been amazing and some of them have been terrible. I've seen many a female comedian in my time. Some of them have been amazing and some of them have been terrible. And if they're great, it's not because they're male or they're female or anything else in between. It's because they, as a person inside, are funny to me and got nothing to do with their gender. And you have shared some posts where you have been subject to some pretty awful comments because you are female. So I just want to talk to you about that. And before we went on air, I think I apologized on behalf of all men for some of those things (laughs) because no one should have to put up with that. And people just blanketly saying this person is not funny because of their gender. Like Mm -hmm. who who is out there posting that kind of stuff? But yeah, feel free to share. Because so essentially I got uh, one of my posts, one of, I did, a, I put a clip online. It was just crowd work um, from Hot Water Comedy Club. And uh, it did quite well on Facebook. It's got only 200,000 views on Facebook, right? Sweet. And so it got the hate that comes along with a lot of views. And like, I don't really mind hate comments because if the audience were already laughing, I know that they're wrong, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. But there was one amazing comment I got and I'll read it out because it's just, it really is something. Um, right, so female comics... Uh, may be funny to other women, but their humour doesn't translate to men. This woman, that's me, this woman's observational humour is just dull. Uh, I might raise a smile if I had 10 pints and thought I was going to get laid. Otherwise, I'd leave after the first line. So this man was essentially saying that, like, he'd only kind of, like, um, laugh at my jokes if he thought he was going to get something out of it, which is ridiculous because, like, people were there laughing regardless of like kind of the, the gender or anything and um it wasn't even it wasn't even a clip of me doing material it was a clip of me talking to the crowd and the crowd were the ones getting the laughs that's why I put the clip up uh and he just he I can tell that he didn't even watch the video <laughs> yeah. he's just saying that this person is a woman therefore it's not funny it doesn't translate full stop like not that there's even any as if there's no exceptions to the rule you know or sometimes we'll get comments that are just the word women or just women aren't funny like and it doesn't 
make sense. Like the fact that this is ingrained into some people and that, that that's a stereotype, which is ridiculous. Like there's no, no reason for that other than, you know, misogyny. Um, yeah. Like it's it's so bizarre to me that people think that's okay. Like, and if you don't find someone funny, you just scroll past, right? Like you don't get clips of Paul Smith online and people comment, men aren't funny, men aren't funny. They just scroll past and move on with their lives. Like yeah. just move on with your life. Like it's the fact that people make a point to make it about gender. See, they could have just said she's not funny, done. And that yeah. would have been enough. Even they need they shouldn't have chipped in anyway, but just saying I'm not funny is not, but they had to make a point. Well, that's proved my point of women not being funny why and I don't it doesn't make sense and like there's a level of for some reason lots of people still believe that women aren't as funny comedians and then that's why you go up and you you do have there's that extra kind of like few seconds you have to prove yourself and you you have you have to allow some more time in your set to win them over than a man does because it's more likely that a man can walk up and they'll people think he knows what he's doing and it just comes to the point where there are it's a bit there's so many bigger and smaller reasons there's so many reasons I don't have all of them but there's just more male comics there's always been more in terms of numbers but that's because for so many years it's, it has been men that get like they, these opportunities right and a lot of the time it's a male dominated field and it's nighttime and a lot of women don't feel safe in these spaces so they don't start or they might even like feel yeah they might feel unsafe or they might feel the sense of having to prove themselves and then they might not feel comfortable to do those first few gigs you know they might do those first few gigs and not do well because of the environment that they're in and because it's not a nurturing environment they might not really really stick in it and keep going um and I think that that's a shame do you know what I mean it's a real and I didn't start I'm I'm glad I, I waited a few years to start as compared to when I moved up north but I didn't start because a lot of the huge reason why I didn't start was because it was a male dominated environment. If I started at 19 in like sweaty pub basements with all these men, I wouldn't have coped. I would have, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that it's, it's a tricky kind of like, it's a tricky conversation to have because there's that whole thing of there's not enough funny women promoters only it'd be worse if promoters, there's this whole thing. It'd be worse if promoters, um, some, a lot of people believe it'd be worse if promoters book a woman just because she's a woman, if she is unfunny. Right. But there's enough funny women, I think. And I think that if you, I think I've said this on a previous podcast before, so apologies. But I think that if clubs and or comedians or promoters help women out on the very base level of the beginning, right? Of like open mic nights or new at nights or the open spots and you make them feel welcome, they will want to come back, right? And they will improve in the craft. The problem is, you know, and then they'll reach a level where they're so, they're, they're undeniable, like we are saying before, but not enough women reach the point of being undeniable because they don't gig enough because it's not comfortable. And for all the other reasons that um, women kind of like um, struggle for different things in society, do you know what I mean? So they won't gig enough, so they won't become undeniable and they won't, they won't, you know, they might be a promoter who runs a gig and he doesn't know for the whole year ahead, he doesn't know 52 funny women who are at the level of that gig. So, and then he might not want to, or the promoter might not want to book a woman that isn't at the right level but then maybe they should take a chance on them or maybe it could be the people below them. You know, I don't think it's necessarily like the high, it could, the higher ups would be helpful, but I think that there's, you know how on the BBC, they said that you have to have a woman on a, on a panel show, which is now people don't even think about it. You know, they don't even think about it. Do they? You watch a panel show. You don't even think, Oh, there's a woman on this now. There never used to be. They don't know one thinks about it. You just watch the, the panel show. Don't you? You just watch it. Yeah. Um, which does trickle down a bit. But if there aren't enough women who are at panel show level, 
you're only going to get so few women on the panel shows and um you know how do you get women from like from nothing to the panel shows when they're starting give them enough opportunities to get better that's why like manchester have a women in comedy festival in october shameless plug six october third of october women in comedy festival i've got a show two female comics gives female comics the opportunity to book out a venue and um, do longer sets you know which i wouldn't have had a longer set if it wasn't for women in comedy festival or if the frog and bucket comedy club they have on the open mic new act completely sometimes people's first gigs open mic night beat the frog they have two spots always allocated to women you could sense positive discrimination but i would not have got beat the frog was i booked beat the frog as one of my first gigs before i started right and i wouldn't have got that spot if i if they didn't have the, the woman's spot right because i got that because it was free like the whole night was booked but the, the female only night spot was free so i was able to get that and so that that gave me like a motivation to kind of start up properly and all to have the ones to prepare for and so giving women these opportunities and at the end of the day if they are funny they will you know if they're not if they're not going to make the audience laugh they won't make the audience laugh and they will drop off you know it's not like you're giving unfunny women the all these amazing opportunities is i think the, the key is just all these little ways of making women feel comfortable and welcome and there's no hr obviously because it's the arts you know there is no one you can turn to if someone is being creepy towards you there is no one because everyone's all friends and if it's things that aren't illegal well it's like well he's just silly isn't he oh we, you know he always comes on to women ha, ha, ha but he's not done anything illegal so what you can still be a predator without doing anything illegal there are ways to be a predator the way that female comics are preyed on by the same few acts sometimes and these same people get booked and then because they're booked on a gig by this person you're not going to tell them hey get them off the lineup you, you're just not and there's nothing you can do there's literally nothing you can do and it's it's tricky because and I always say this and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself from different of different podcasts I've been on but it's so ridiculous that these men can make you uncomfortable but in ways that aren't illegal because it's just the culture of it you know the culture of these men leering where like even though they might not touch you they might not um do anything illegal they might not even try on with you but the feeling of the room yeah. is enough to put a lot of women off and I'm so lucky that I'm in a position where like I met the right people at the right time and I, I started stand up at a point where I felt ready to, to tackle those environments and I felt sure enough of my own ability to start but it's uh you know and I and I'm very good at being connected and I live close you know and um uh, but there's the, I've, I, so because I'm quite lucky in that sense and my opposing personality but I've had like for certain of my nights I'm very fortunate that I've certain female comics um, have felt uncomfortable and they've texted me separately saying are you going to do the gig tonight and I'll say no like, oh I'm not going to come then I don't like being any woman or they've texted me and I said yes let's go and they felt comfortable to come because I was there or another one was there and I think that women support each other um, is really useful but it's a shame that we have to keep an eye out for each other or you know the the amount of weird creepy men and again you can be creepy without doing anything illegal to me directly and that's the thing they don't seem to get weird creepy men who I see on um, a lineup and I'm like great who's suddenly everywhere and you're like great everyone's friends with him now so I'm not how what how can I tell people he is near weird vibe how can you tell people that when the weird vibe is accepted because it's not illegal and if they did do something illegal I genuinely don't see anyone doing anything about it. Um, and there's this organization called Get Off Live Comedy, and they're trying to, uh, you know, make action with things and and be a kind of like nonprofit HR type thing. Yeah. 
but it's really hard when it's all different organizations you know and it's all over the place and you really are out there for yourself like in stand-up you're out there for yourself anyway because people will throw you under the bus for a 10 minute spot at a certain club and then on top of that as a woman you're out there for yourself you know and then also other women you might confide in them but they're also not going to say anything so you know if I'm doing a gig with with a couple of people who I find uncomfortable and you know if a female's booked this or uh, you know then I who you you know I've had a, a, a woman who I thought was on side book a gig with two men that I'm very uncomfortable around that I've been on the same lineup as and then like one she knew about which felt very like oh so you'd rather and she's I remember she said to me the gigs just got I just want the gigs to go well so it seems like the priority is the gig going well or a funny gig than it is me feeling comfortable you know or oh well then I should just then then the attitude the the knee-jerk reaction would be well don't do the gig then Melina but it's so unfair that I would have to back out or, the, and then the, or another one where it's something that made me feel uncomfortable and I see a female being pally, I don't know whether to warn her about him or whether I should, um, like, or whether she knows, you know, and she's doing it to, for networking. I don't know what to do with that information. I don't feel to think I'm, I'm, I'm paranoid because at the end of the day, most of it is a vibe. Most of it is, is a feeling that you have, that feeling of fight or flight that no male comedian will have. Like, obviously, like, different races and different sexualities will have different feelings in the green room, but the feeling of being leered at by all these men by default is confusing. And then if, if different female acts come, the, 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 the speed of which they get bored of you and then you feel kind of like a weird kind of the, the lack of attention is confusing in itself and the ego is confused. or um, And then you think you're kind of quote unquote safe, but then they know they start being weird again. And it's like a cycle of it. And it is so, and I'm sure it's not news to anyone in the arts. I'm sure it's not news to anyone in male dominated industries, but there is that feeling of having to protect yourself, that feeling of animalistic fight or flight. Do I, do I flee this situation or do I just put up with it that you have before a gig, that feeling of adrenaline for for reason that you shouldn't have, that you have to learn to channel in other ways, you know, and there really is not a lot you can do about it because again, if they're not doing anything illegal, but this stuff is encouraged, you know, not encouraged not the right word but this stuff is not frowned it's not discouraged it's not discouraged it's not discouraged right yeah. and like I've had text conversations with with the bigger acts who are also promoters and they're like what do I do right I tell me what to do do you want to give me names and I was like a I don't I can't give names because it's not like again it's people that don't do things illegal right yeah. and b can I believe that they're going to blacklist them will they really because or am I I don't feel safe enough to go to give these names and for them not to go around saying that I'm crazy or paranoid, you know, or she's just jealous, you know, if uh, it's, that's not how it is. And I think that it's tricky and there's a level of, I I respect a lot of promoters. I do. And I understand that they want to put on a good show, but also the fact that putting on a good show is more important to making women feel safe. Right. No, that shouldn't be the case. Right. That shouldn't be how it is. Who cares? There's enough good acts out there. There's enough, so there's too many good acts right there that you don't have to give these weirdos the stage time. And like, oh, you know, uh, I don't want this. The There's a narrative of the, the scorned woman trying to win, ruin people's careers or like, you know, or maybe just. Um, well, what a, it's and a lot of female acts get something that I like to call the talk from an older act, right, from a male act who's maybe not one of the creepy ones or, whatever, or maybe is. But a lot of female acts, when they first start, get the talk. Because a lot of the time, you're kind of swept up in the network. You're swept up in the drinks after the shows, or you hang out with these people. And someone will come up to you, and they'll say, listen, watch out. After a gig, just go home. You know, mm. the amount of female comments you get the talk, they say, just go home. 
you know, you don't want to, the comedians are fine, but they're lonely, but they will, you know, they will make a pass at you. They will, you know, I was told, you know, because I'm young as well and, and um, they, they might take advantage of that or you're naive, you just started, you go home after a gig, you don't, you know, what if anyone's direct messaging you, watch out, they'll say that kind of thing or, you know, um, and I'll warn you about what a certain acts as well. But uh, I, at what point do they tell their friends to go home? At what point do they have to tell their friends don't be weird towards female acts. What are you doing? They don't. And I, I appreciate that that's a much more difficult conversation, right? But even a simple what, mate? Or even a simple protecting of the women, or even a simple like don't do that. Like that's a difficult conversation. But also being in those situations is difficult. Why is it up to the why is it up to it is why is it up to the women? And I'm talking about women in particular because it's the ones that, that like again people of different races people of different sexuality are also treated differently but in terms of women they're the ones who are the targets you know mm. and it's so hard and it's and it's hard and I think that it's um hard to have these conversations when you are new uh, before you you know because you you want to be known for the, how good your act is right and you don't want to be known for trying to ruin people's careers but the fact that it feels like you're constantly being gaslit and told to ex expect a certain type of behavior when it shouldn't be no workplace is like no workplace with hr would allow this to happen yeah. like if they if you if every time you went to the photocopier someone was being like weird towards you or something you would report it and it would they do they help try to help you to stop it whereas here because like the arts and things it's it's really difficult and it's hard because you can't progress without gigging and without doing the 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 the, the the kind of smaller gigs the darker gigs the pub basements but also like you can see why a lot of women quit right they don't have it in them to start because when you're a stand-up I think there's a level for anyone who's a stand-up there's a level of vulnerability that you have that makes you want to go on stage and talk to strangers right and about your things for however long for little to no money or all money so there's a level of vulnerability to you I think that there's something that in the female axis particular because it's not about the male ego because you're female acts right um then there's like a level of like um vulnerability that i think they do prey upon whether it's subconscious or not i don't know whether they just don't meet many women i don't know but it's weird that the way you're treated and i think there's also the extreme end of it that like a lot of men support each other by taking photos of each other they share each other's clips they they you know they might take a video of them when they're on stage they might share the poster I don't get nearly as, uh, the, the the lack of support, um, if you hear a rustling, it's my charger. The lack of support <laughs> I get from male counterparts is like, the silence is deafening, Ian, because the fact that they don't share, the fact that my clips do better than any male on my level, the fact that I get like higher level gigs of a lot of the men that I started out with, the fact that I do, I, I do well at certain gigs and the lack of kind of like sharing my stuff or just support or like kind of like knee-upping and helping that I get. A lot of the time it's because men don't want to take a picture with you or of you or they don't want to share your clip because they don't want to be seen as a creep, right? But the fact that they think that just sharing a picture of me makes them a creep is is weird. Does that make sense? Like the culture... Yeah, or it shouldn't time, be like that. Right? That's not... It was a weird... Like, it took me so long to kind of crack why I felt weird about there was something wrong. And like I've had chats with female comments about this before and like, um, like on a brunch. And it's weird that, you know, a male comic might follow, which is like a, you know, it's, it's so simple. Like social media is so silly, but they might follow other male acts, but they don't follow you, even though they need to message you for a gig or something, because they don't want to be seen to be following you because you're a woman. They don't yeah. treat you as a human. You either the ones that treat you as like a, a as like an object or the ones that have to completely ignore you 
But there's an you're a human being and I should be seen as much of a performer as everyone else and treated the same way. It's still that level of different treatment. Like just share, like the, the fact that they just, just the little things of them sharing each other's reels going, oh, you're smashing it. Like it's, it's not important to me it's not it's not important to me who shares my clips it really isn't like it's it's not I do it for the audience I do it for myself do you know what I mean like I, it's really not but I think it's more the reflection of like it's a, it's a very easy way to describe the way that I'm treated differently does that make sense like yeah it, yeah it, it, it's, it's a clear showing of like oh you will share every male act that's either my level or below me or higher than me but you don't share mine what's different about what's the one thing that's different I'm a woman that's the only thing Oh, and it's not even that they don't relate to my material because a lot of the clips I share are just talking to the crowd or something. Yeah. And it's the amount of times that, you know, this clip of me talking about men on the circuit, only I had about seven female comics share it. You know, every time I put a clip up, if it does well, uh, it's always the women or, you know, maybe the odd supportive man might comment comment for me. But the fact that they treat me differently, even as a friend slash colleague is so ridiculous. Like, and it makes you feel like you're not doing as well as you are. And I'm trying to get to the point where I'm not relying on the validation of the comics around me because it's silly right it's all about like the, the, the gigs and the promoters and stuff but it is tiring when they're all helping each other out and they're not helping you out it takes you back to like when you're a kid do you know what I mean and, and you feel left out yeah one that as an adult you know and it's, it's silly because like if and sometimes I'll, I'll do really like I'll, I'll do really well and then none of them will say well done do you know what I mean and then the ones who do are the weird ones you can't win and like as a woman like you really sometimes can't win and I know there are female comics that smash it and do so well and you know like Catherine Ryan and Sarah Milliken they're amazing women but like it's it must it's a hard thing to do and it is it, it's, it's my gender is also the thing that is, is um it's helping me because of the things I talk about and the the audience yeah. members I relate to but also it would it just imagine how much like less of a mental toll it would have on me if men weren't being weird you know and like the fact that a lot of the time they might even blame um the fact that I'm a woman for the, for the reason I get gigs there are female acts that don't gig <laughs> there yeah. are, do you know what I mean? there are, it's not about that it's not about number of gigs it's just about how it should in theory about how, how good you are when you're and how how people respond to you but a lot of them are insecure about not doing as well as they want to and they'll look for any reason for you for them to kind of blame for them not doing well maybe you doing well and I think it's just so silly and I'm just like it's just tiring and then the only way to kind of go up against it is just do well just keep doing my own thing and do well and like you know hopefully keep making women feel more comfortable rather than try to kind of fit this this weird kind of like lads culture around it it just makes me sick and it's just you shouldn't have to put up with that stuff yeah it's pretty saddening yeah. to hear to be honest yeah. now, i want to i want to share something with you so because i was recently in the role of booker and seki and oh, i yes. had decided hey we're going to put on a show and we wanted it to be improv and stand up and we we put the show together and we we booked oikers we had our house team at Flitch yeah. funny bone and then we had you and joe Sargent's in come on yeah and i remember discussing the show with someone at some point and they and they said how wonderful it was that the two comedians that we had were females yeah and there was a weird moment where i just kind of thought oh yeah that is a great thing but that wasn't why i booked you like yeah, a book, you not because you were females, but because you were lovely people that I trusted would do a good show, and that's how it should be. 
exactly exactly and that's how it's, it's exactly how booker, you're the ideal booker and that's the thing is also with genders as well like it's all about if you're having a lineup right of like six acts for example it's all different perspectives why would you want the same yeah. why would you want and let's say people are going on dates a lot of a lot of, a lot of times couples why would you want just one perspective like surely the, the girls and the want to see themselves up there as something to relate to and like for example your show it was it was diverse in the sense of it was um improv and stand-up and puns coming out of a box <laughs> so there's so many different reasons that you need a mix of things and like I, it's, there's something to be said about giving people a chance and it's so um silly that I think I think it all comes down to ego doesn't it and I think a lot of comedians have ego and that's why I like improv because it's about not having that <laughs> yeah you know like it's about freeing yourself of that and being completely rid of your own ego because in a scene that's random you could be anyone <laughs> you could be anything you could be about um you could for one scene you could be talking the most for another you could just be a, a crisp packet on the floor you know um and the the less ego you have the more free you are both in life and in improv not to be pretentious but uh yeah and i'll share a little something with you so because Seki and I booked that show, mm. we're now talked about by other bookers. And someone complained because we'd booked we'd booked these comedians. And I was really? like, yeah. And they were like, hey, this is our turf. We're the ones that book comedians. And I just said to the person that told me, well, this only becomes a, a problem when they've contacted those comedians to book them. I said, until that happens, there is no problem because they weren't booking those comedians. We've booked exactly. those comedians. We've given them the chance that they weren't giving them. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, and yeah. also it was a different, completely different audience. Yeah, it's a different thing. And we're not stepping on their toes because yeah. we're offering a different thing entirely. Um, like if they contacted us and we'd gone, oh no, we're already doing... You know, or we do. Imagine if we'd done the show and both shows, right? It would be that'd be a problem because, like, they'd already seen us, or you know, that's mm. a good answer, though. Thank you. I like that. Yeah. So, even it is ego. The bookers have ego. And it, yeah. Like, when it happened, Seki and I were like, wow, that is like so yeah. old school way of doing things. Like, it's your turf. Like, seriously, is this the 1980s, like, American yeah. wrestling circuit or something? <laughs> I know, right? I take it with like also the the it's a it's a community venue, right? And yeah. it does something it does amazing things. Surely, like it's important for that to have as much going on as possible. Do you know what I mean? To just make for that community, I think that's that's important because like would they have done that specific gig with us on the Saturday night? Mm, yeah, probably not. You know. Um. So yeah. I've I've just seen the time. So I'm going to start to bring it to a close. I just mm -hmm. I want to tell people though, just in general, like mm -hmm. if 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 anyone says women aren't funny, go and watch Melina, go and watch show, go and watch countless other women because they made me laugh lots. And also, just to bring this back to improv, go and watch watch Boss Birds, go and watch the Oikers, yeah. go and watch Broken Chair because they are full of amazingly talented women, and that. To me, they're just talented people. I couldn't care less whether they're women or not because they're just funny people. And I celebrate the fact that they're women. And I think it's amazing. But at the end of the day, 
they're just funny people and that's yeah. what it should boil down to are these people funny yeah or exactly. are they are they entertaining in any way are they unique are they engaging that's what matters it doesn't it doesn't matter what body parts they have 100% definitely the treat everyone with compassion yeah. <laughs> well, i like it i like that exactly it's just about funny funny is funny if people are laughing well it's, it's not a good quote but it's michael mcintyre's book if people are laughing it's funny or tickling That's it. <laughs> so just before we go where can people find you where can people see you live what's going on there amazing so my, i'm melina feel full stop comedy um, across all social media um so if you kind of go there there's links to like my link tree where all my upcoming gigs are um i mainly gig in the northwest but um towards the end of the year i'm going to be around london birmingham all over the shop also the northeast for the first time which wow. is exciting so look for melina feel full stop comedy and uh, there's loads of loads of information and clips and stuff and you can see if you you can see whether my observational humor is dull or whether you find me funny uh, and if it's a latter, give me a follow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Well, I feel I should like let you go back on the circuit for a certain amount of time and then get you back on the show and we'll check in again and, and yes, see, we'll check see how in. it's going. Yeah. I think that we I think we should make this a deal. We'll do it. We'll do it. Yeah, definitely. You can have a regular slot. Yes, I love it. <laughs> well, it's been it's been insightful and it's been enjoyable and a pleasure just like it was last time. So thank you very much for coming back on the show right back at you thank you so much for having me well there we go thank you so much to melina i know it was a long chat but it was a really great chat and i hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as i enjoyed actually having that conversation we went down so many different avenues and i think some of the things we spoke about are super important and um yeah i, I hope we've we, we've shed a light on some real issues out there in the comedy world but also we we've talked about some, some great things in the comedy world and obviously we, we had the opening there discussing the queen and the sad news there but so just a really great chat now i've just finished editing this together and there was a couple of moments where you might have heard me laughing in the background and you don't know why and basically I before we went on air I was praising Melina because the last time she came on we got through the episode and she didn't swear once but then she actually did swear just just a few times during this podcast but if anyone does anything like that I, I have to trawl through it and, and take it out because it's a PG podcast and there was just a few times in there two of them I managed to completely edit out uh, and one of them I did like, like a little reversey thing so you couldn't hear the actual word that was said um, but the, on a couple of the ones that I edited out completely I sort of laugh um, in particular on one of them I was laughing in the background and it makes no sense because I took out the word uh, but I know when I listen to it oh yeah that's the moment where I had to take out that swear word um, but I still think I, I will applaud it because um to come on late in the day because it was late in the day when we recorded and to, to keep stum and not let those words slip I mean it's fine for me everyone that knows me knows I, I don't have swear words in me like they don't come out of me but for most people they do come out so well done Melina because you only gave me three things to edit out and yeah it was a great chat and I hope that everyone listening as I said just really enjoys it finds it insightful 
I, I love how Melinda doesn't hold back and she's very honest and just tells it like it is. And, and I think that's what we need in the world. We need people just to tell it like it is. Don't sugarcoat things. Just be honest and upfront and say, hey, this is my experience and this is the good side of my experience and this is the bad side of experience. And hopefully I could pass on some lessons from what I've learned from my experiences. So yeah, I think I, I am definitely gonna get Melina back on down the road she's going to go back out and do a gazillion more gigs and she's going to learn loads more lessons and hopefully she'll come back and share those lessons with us please come back to the show next week I look forward to bringing another great guest your way and yeah I'm going to get into the whole outro bit now uh, so I'm sure some of you switch off at this point because you think oh it says the same thing every week but you never know Maybe there's a slight change to it. Who knows? But if you are interested in getting into improv or already involved in improv and want to try out a different improv scene, then all the info you need can be found at www.liverpoolcomedyimprov.co.uk. You can also check us out on Facebook by searching for Liverpool Comedy Improv. And on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Live Comedy Improv. We do have a Facebook page for the show specifically. Just go onto Facebook and search for Liverpool Comedy Improvcast and you'll find all things to do with the show there and if you are a member of the LCI community and you'd like to be a guest on the show please get in touch with me or with Emma Bird and we'll make arrangements as soon as possible I know there are people on the list that might have been waiting for a while and I am working my way through things trying to fit things into my schedule as best I can and I promise if you're on the list I will be coming your way soon if you are listening on Apple or Spotify as always I encourage you to go and give us five stars leave us a positive review because little things like that really help to boost the show and get our name out there if you want to follow me on social media i'm on facebook twitter instagram youtube and tiktok just search for at ian luke jones and you'll find all things me on whatever platform you're using so there we go that brings us to the end of this bumper episode it's been a long one but it's been a good one and uh, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure as always to be in your ears so before i go here are some words that are wise 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 always remember whatever the situation to treat life like improv and yes and <laughs>